morning. You're here with the Master Gardener Hour. This is your host, Rena Sartain, and I have the pleasure of introducing Rosie Davidson this morning. Good morning, Rosie. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rena. Good morning, everyone. Well, you can tell Rosie has a tad of an accent here. We're laughing about her Scottish brogue coming out on the show. So Rosie is a master gardener, and um, her house and garden have been selected this year to be on the Atlanta Botanical Garden Tour, which is quite um, a... um, just wonderful. I mean, I'm, I'm, we'll get to that in a little bit, but congratulations. That must be a lot of work. Thank you so much. It's actually the second time it's been on tour because it was on tour in 2005, but I think the garden is much prettier now. Oh, how wonderful. It's, it's developed over the years. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear about that, but actually, um, when you sent me your bio, um, I'm just intrigued that um, by your, your history and how you got interested in in gardening, and um, you grew up in Scotland, and I'm going to let you kind of take it away and tell us about it, and lived in four different towns. So tell us a little bit about Scotland, about the weather, about the dynamics, and, and how you got to this wonderful point and this love of gardening. Okay, well, I'm what you call an Ulster Scot, and that means I'm Scottish and Irish, and we actually had a family home in Northern Ireland in a National Trust village called Cushendun. And we have a lot of family in Southern Ireland. My parents were Glaswegians. I was actually born in London. My class that is a mistake because we never lived there. Uh, my father worked for the Ordnance Survey. He was a cartographer. So he made maps that were 25 inches to the mile, which are extremely detailed. My mother's a school teacher and started teaching when I was four and a half and went to big school in the UK. We did live in a lot of houses because my father would get transferred from one city to another. Uh, We finally got to Perth when I was about seven years old. Perth is north of Edinburgh on the east part of Scotland, a very old city. used to be the ancient capital of Scotland 900 years ago. And my mother said, enough is enough. We are not moving again. (laughs) She wanted me to go to a nice school, so I was actually educated by Sacred Heart Nuns. So I had a good convent education. You know what to say about convent girls. Most of it's probably true. (laughs) So my father, instead of us moving house every two years, he left for a year. We'd return maybe once a month, and that's how he continued mapping Scotland. Now, did he work for a company? He worked for an organization called the Ordnance Survey. If anyone's been to the U.K. and they go hiking and they pick up an Ordnance Survey map, that's who my father worked for. Okay. And he actually used to walk miles and miles over moors and hills in Scotland with a laborer who carried the tape measure. And my father would map out everything. So 25 miles to the... To an inch. To an inch. Wow. Very detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, he was in the Isle of Skye when I was 10. I spent three months with him one summer, came home speaking Gaelic. And he was doing a map, replacing maps that hadn't been done for over 100 years. And you're talking about having to measure a river or a stream or what they call dry stain dikes, which are dry stone walls here. Um, he used to fall along, rip his trousers. My mother used to shout at him <laughs> because he just, he was very fit and healthy, red hair and a beard. He looked like a typical Irish Scot. Oh. So that was part of my 
growing up history, very different from the South here. Mm -hmm. What was the weather like? Cold, wet, miserable. Most of the year? Um, it does. <laughs> the sun does shine in Scotland. It does. It can get hot. There's no air conditioning. So when it does get hot in the UK, you open windows. Um, I think we're much healthier than we are in this country. I've lived here for 24 years. So I know I don't do the kind of walking and hiking that I used to do. You go grocery shopping and you walk home if you live nearby or you get on a bus. You don't always have to take a car. Mm -hmm. um, the weather, there's a lot of dri what they call drizzle. It's not the heavy rains you get here. The soil is dark brown and black and it's just... It's great, but would I live there again? My blood's thin. I like living in the <laughs> From sun. the humidity. I, I class myself now as an honorary southerner. I really do. I love this part of the country. Um, but I go back to Scotland twice a year normally. I have an almost 97-year-old mother who still lives at home with wow. some care. And she still has some gardening, although she doesn't do so much anymore. So they, your parents, both enjoyed gardening. They did. Um, the largest garden that I remember we had was only a third of an acre, which may sound small to a lot of Americans, but bearing in mind that space is of a premium in the UK, mm -hmm. we don't have big houses, big gardens, unless you're extremely wealthy. We were. We were just middle class. Both parents are professionals. So in this third of an acre... Um, mostly my father's work. He grew vegetables. We had gooseberry bushes. We had blackberry bushes, black currants, red currants, which you really don't get in the south. Um, he loved pansies because that was his mother's favorite flower. And we always grew potatoes and peas. Um, so now let me ask you this. When you say you love pansies, that almost sounds like a year-round flower there. It's what? a summer flower in okay. the Okay. Is it really? It is. So it's very different to the south. We do not get the heat and the humidity that you have in the south. So uh -huh. we have pansies in the summer. Um, the other flowers, for example, sweet peas, which I really, really miss. Uh -huh. There's a lot of flowers I miss, but I make up for it in other ways. Sweet peas are just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in the summer. You can't grow them in the south. Um, delphiniums don't do well here. No, they're there all summer. Nasturtiums do incredibly well in Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, most of our hydrangeas are pink rather than blue because of the soil. Mm -hmm. And uh, they withstand the sea air very well. Lavatera is a great plant in Scotland. You can grow it here, but it's not nearly as nice. And the roses are to die for. I mean, unlike here where it's hard work to grow roses, even in somebody's small garden, there's a beautiful rose bed, dark, dark brown soil, glossy green leaves, very little black spot, From, no bugs. Yeah. And that's how I'd love to grow roses. So, And fuchsia hedges. Mm. You don't get fuchsia hedges here. Near our house in Ireland, there were just acres of fuchsia hedges everywhere. So those are the things I miss. So, um, now you you talked about um, Whiskey Mac. It's a rose. Okay. There, there were 
my father loved roses, and I gave him a whiskey mac, which is a beautiful orange rose. Okay. It's not necessarily David Austin. It was the name of a rose in Scotland many, many years ago. And the other one, my name, my full name is Rosemary, so he wanted a rosemary rose, which is a very dark red, beautiful perfume. Now, my father's been dead almost 29 years. Mm-hmm. Those roses I gave him probably 36, 37 years ago, and they are still in our garden, and they still bloom. In in Scotland. In Scotland. Now, does your mom at age 97 still have a little plot of land that she, she likes to till? We've been in the same house since 1960. We had a small house built. Uh-huh. She still lives there. She got rid of the grass. She got rid of the vegetables. A neighbor of hers uses a greenhouse, and they have tomatoes and peppers that they grow in cucumbers, and she gets the benefit of it without the work. She actually has put gravel in the back, but she has pots and she has shrubs, beautiful lilac bushes, um, the lavateras, some hydrangeas, crocosima, the roses, um, things like that. I would imagine that... um Part of the um, attribute to her health is having worked in the garden for so many years. She also comes from a long-lived family who are extremely stubborn, mm-hmm. and um, they don't give in very easily. That's why she's still alive. <laughs> her, her grandfather was actually almost 99 when he died, just before the Second World War. He was a sea captain. Okay. So, you know, this is a long-lived family. All right. And she wants to outlive her sisters, and so far she's done it. And do you have brothers and sisters no, there still? just me. Just you. You're an yes, only child? I'm an only child. Okay. I'm an only child. I love <laughs> being an only child. <laughs> I would like brothers and sisters, hence we have two children. So, so tell us how you you met your husband in Scotland? No. it's um, I didn't get married until I was 32. Okay. I had a very nice time before then. <laughs> I tell my children, please don't get married until you're in your 30s. Um, no, I actually a brief history of my life and um, schooling we want to hear about that okay um when i was 16 i came over to california on an afs scholarship which is american field service i'm actually involved with that group of people here in atlanta and um i spent a year living in southern california with an american family with three children and i had to share a room with two girls it was eye-opening however all these years later this was 1970 so yes i'm 60 years of age uh-huh. it's very depressing but however <laughs> um night we still keep in touch after all these years Wonderful. and then i went home for a year because i'd already graduated from the convent ready to go to university i was too young to go I was supposed to go to Belfast, to Queen's University, and those who know British history know that the IRA and the RUC were involved in a lot of, there was the troubles, the beginning Mm -hmm. of the troubles, so Mm -hmm. there was no way that I could go to Belfast. So I went home for a year, went to a different school, my father was away at that time. Um, I ended up going to Manchester University to do economics. I hated it. I absolutely hated being at school. And in those days, you didn't have to have a university mm-hmm. degree. So I left. I ended up as a buyer with the Harrods Group. Mm. I have a lot of qualifications for management studies, etc. I ended up working with Marks and Spencers as a manager. For those who know the UK, it's a big chain store. Um, I worked for Next as a manager, so my career was retail management. And all those years I was living in England. So I lived seven years in Manchester. With Marks and Spencers, I got promoted. And every year I moved to a new city. You have two weeks notice. Go live in a hotel for two or three weeks. Find somewhere to live and carry on working. And that was my life for many years. I loved it. 
However, I went to Norwich in England. I was still working for Marks and Spencers, left there, went to work for Next as a manager. I met my husband-to-be there, who was actually going through a divorce. And I should say, the funny thing is, I actually put on a fashion show for his wife. Um, When he was still married, but they were having problems, so nothing to do with me. So it was kind of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. So we got married in 1986, in January of all times very cold and uh went to rome for a honeymoon we lived in uh part of essex north of london and then he got a job he was then working in london so we commuted um the company he works for i don't know if can i mention it or not mm-hmm, sure. it's in vesco he um brought him over here for two or three years and that was the end of 89 and here we still are so you thought you would be here just on a short we were here stand. for a short stay and decided that um, my husband did some work with Invesco and stayed. We love living here. He plays golf, so he can wear shorts most of the year. Mm-hmm. No socks with his shoes, play a lot of golf. He's very happy, but we do travel quite a bit. All right. So we. Sorry. So you've been here then for 20, almost 30 years. 24 years. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine that um, moving to the south was quite a culture shock in many ways, wasn't it? Well, when the opportunity came up to go to Atlanta, and I traveled a reasonable amount in the States, I had to say, where is Atlanta? I know it's in the South. So I'm sorry, I was very ignorant about it. Um, we came here, I said, November of 89. And it was an interesting place. All right, well, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. Okay. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, this is Kate Copsey, inviting you to listen year-round to America's Homegrown Veggie Show every Saturday at 10 a.m. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're back with the Master Gardener Hour. This is Rena Sartain, and I have Rosie Davidson here. And I'm just delighted. Rosie is from originally from Scotland, and I, I just love to listen to you talk, Rosie. Thank you. I like <laughs> listening to you talk, too. <laughs> so when, when, you, when you moved to the United States and came to the South, of course, you had spent some time in California. But the South is really unique. I've come to so appreciate that. 
as I get older. It's just a warm and fuzzy and very civilized place to be. Was it hard for you to understand us when you first moved here? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, we rented a house or a townhome in Ansley Park, and the people who moved in next door the same time we did were from this, well, he was from Connecticut. My friend Mary is from the south. So they became surrogate grandparents to my daughter then. And she said, you need to do something, you need to do something. So I went to Crawford Long as one of the trolley ladies. Mm-hmm. And I can remember this. I'd only been here a month. And I'd be standing knocking at the door and somebody would mumble something on the other side. It, they could have been speaking Esperanto. They could not understand me and I could not understand them. And, of course, your brogue must have been a lot thicker. Actually, no. I've Really? Actually, I hate to say I have more of an English accent, so it's somewhat embarrassing for my family. <laughs> That's the school I went to. Um, so the accent was very, very difficult. Um, but I started a play group within two months of living here. And those ladies, I still keep in touch with some of them all these years later. Wonderful. And that was a great way to get into the community. Um, the one thing I found difficult was in the UK, people say, come and have a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And you'd go and do it. Whereas here, people would say it. And they were so busy, they never followed through. And that took me a little while. And I've heard that comment from other people. But my biggest saving grace was just how nice people were to me. Um, somebody that worked with my husband, his wife, the first place she took me to was Hastings Garden Center. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, and Pearson's the wine store. I mean, what better place than the you wine and a, wine, wine and flowers, and I know. <laughs> it was fantastic. You had it made. So I started then, and um, my son was born, and he is a true southerner. He may not sound it, but he is. He was born in Piedmont Hospital. He's now 22. And... When he was about three, I joined a garden club. I was invited by this wonderful lady. Again, her husband was somebody that my husband knew. Come to garden club. And it was wonderful. And they seemed to like the accent, so that helped. <laughs> and did you have garden clubs in no. in the UK? No. I'd never lived anywhere long enough. That you know, I lived in a place for a year, then moved. So yeah. I never lived anywhere long. I think there there are garden clubs. There, um, I don't think they're quite as friendly as ours here. I'm actually in three garden clubs. I love my garden clubs, mm-hmm. and the ladies, they have the most wonderful southern names, which I just brings a smile to my face, <laughs> and I love it. They've just been wonderful. Well, you and I are in, are in one of those garden clubs we together. We it's certainly an, are. It's an old one, and 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 you know, there's there's really such a camaraderie, and it's not really just about gardening. It's about caring for your neighbors and it learning is. what's going on in the community. And um, it's it's a wonderful group. It's a it wonderful. Is, it group. is a good group. So so you were introduced to the liquor store and the gardening center. Now, that's a great place to start. It was a very good place. So did you start gardening um, immediately when you were in that rental home? Ansley Park, for those of you who don't know this, is one of the older in town most beautiful moneyed neighborhoods in Atlanta so were you did you have the opportunity there to start we had a huge deck and I had an awful lot of pots with things in because there was nowhere else for me to garden. Mm-hmm. And there was a little tykes paddling pool in the middle of all of this as well, plus the kids' playthings. But I had lots and lots of pots, and that's how I gardened when I first came here. The second house we moved to, which was near Lenox Mall, um, really the garden was, was nothing. And we lived there for 18 months. And I really I had my pots, and that was it. 
And when we finally moved to Chastain Park, we bought a home there in great need of repair. So we basically renovated the whole thing. I have just under an acre. Wow. So I started gardening 1996. For for seriously, seriously garden. I mean, I looked at this place and thought, "Oh my gosh, what have I done? This place is huge. How am I going to deal with this?" But you know, you take a little bit at a time. It's baby steps, and all of a sudden, everything comes to fruition. It's wonderful. So, um, when you seriously started gardening in the house that you're in now, did you um, were you really able to draw from your childhood? Um, experience or did you basically have to start over because you were in a very different humid hot sultry climate um was it just a whole different ball game it was a whole different ball game but i had enough basic knowledge the first thing i actually did we have a huge wall i'm not sure maybe 20 foot high or something mm-hmm. i was covered with ivy now oh. the first day i walked into what became my garden because it wasn't a garden then i saw a snake and if there's anything scares me more is snakes i don't care how friendly they are i do not want snakes in my garden so the ivy had to go the wall took me 10 weeks to get the ivy off it (laughs) just the wall it was awful actually took me three years to get rid of all the ivy in the garden Mm -hmm. it was full of ivy pine trees and old azaleas and not much else Mm -hmm. rubbish stuff Mm -hmm. all that's gone now Wow. So um, so I, I want to talk about your philosophy of the garden in a little bit. But um, so it's taken you, then your, it took you 10 years. Your first year with the botanical garden tour was what year? 2005. Okay. So that was really less than 10 years. Yeah. To... And it, was, it was nice, but it's not as nice as it is now. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I'm kind of biased. So... Were you involved with the Atlanta Botanical Gardens um, to be selected on the tour or? 2005 tour, um, somebody had recommended me, and I don't know who it was, and they came to look at the garden, and that's how I got involved. And I was actually in the Garden Associates then for a little bit. I'm still part of the Garden Associates. I was on the board two years ago. Didn't do much last year to some health issues. And um, I, I do what I can with the Botanical Garden Associates, but I'm very involved with Garden Club of Georgia, so a lot of my time actually goes to things for them as well. Mm-hmm. So I have to spread myself out a little bit. So then um, you've been reselected, and um, and let's tell our listeners that actually the Atlanta Botanical Garden Tour is absolutely beautiful i used to take my mother because it's always on mother's day is it just the day or the whole weekend sunday okay and um it costs what maybe 25 dollars and they're usually about Um, anywhere between 10 and 13 gardens right and they're spread all over town yes and so it is just a marvelous you can pick and choose what you want to go to and it's just a wonderful wonderful tour and i'm always thrilled when somebody's in my neighborhood (laughs) that um makes it convenient because it it can be hard to go all the way to the other side of town atlanta is sprawling these days so um when you are selected for the garden tour are there any requirements or prerequisites that you have to abide by um, in getting ready for this tour? There actually aren't because the gardens vary so much. There may be 20 acres of beautifully landscaped grounds. Then there's gardens like mine, which I call a gardener's garden. 
because I designed it and I have done 80% of the work on it. I don't do heavy pruning. And then there's very small gardens. So it's a real variety. I mean, the main thing I think sensibly is it has to be accessible to the public. You're talking between two and two and a half thousand people for the weekend come through the garden. Wow. Which is a lot of people. A lot of foot traffic. So I actually have paths that go all the way around the garden, come down the other side, so people get a chance to walk. It wasn't designed for the botanical garden tours, uh-huh. <laughs> but it was designed for me, and that seemed to me the most sensible thing. It's a lot of work. Um, most gardeners like me are very anal about things. I can't stand the sight of a weed. I'm pulling them out all the time. So you want everything to be as perfect as it can be. But my particular garden is not a landscape garden. This is a garden that's just, I have a passion for gardening, mm-hmm. and that's how my garden is. Mm-hmm. So... Um during the course of the year, do you have um, help come in to help you with the nitty-gritty stuff, or do you really do most of it, the weeding, everything yourself? Well, discount last year because that was exceptional circumstances. Mostly I do most of it. However, every February, March, I have a landscape company come in for three days. Mm-hmm. I have, being British, I like to be completely private in my garden. So I have a lot of hedging, various types of hedging, all the way around the garden, which hides the neighbors from me. And I'm pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it has actually made them clean up their gardens a little bit because I have seven houses around me. So they actually do all the big pruning. I have 20, 25-foot hedges Wow. Um, and things that require heavy pruning. And there is no way I can do that. What are those hedges um, that are so I have tall? a huge ligustrum hedge. It's very old behind the pool, but it's very big. I have Lakotha way. Mm-hmm. I have boxwoods. I have an awful lot of azaleas in my garden, which I did plant all by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I got? I've got gardenias hedges. I've got this sweet tea olive hedges. It's just a lot of tidying up. Mm-hmm. And my garden is terraced. It's on four levels and it's uphill. Um, when I look back at the work I did, I can't believe I did all that. Mm-hmm. So I do have a crew that does heavy pruning and clean up for me. And then normally the rest I manage quite well. So, um, you know, when people come into my garden, and my garden is so small compared to yours. I mean, it's it's really an, um, an urban garden. But, but there's people always say, God, this must take you so much time. And one of the goals that I've always worked toward is having a garden that becomes self-maintainable in its own right. Mm -hmm. Not that you don't have to go out there and work, but really you get it to a point where, with the exception of, you know, annual pruning or biannual pruning, it really does take care of itself. Um, And I don't think of it in terms of of requiring a tremendous amount of my personal time. But I'm curious, with a garden that's really almost an acre, how? tell me what your routine life is like during the year in that garden. Well, this time of year I don't like to garden. It's too cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will go out, usually with a cup of tea in my hand and mm-hmm. a nightshirt on and a pair of pruners, uh-huh. and I start cleaning up as I go around. Uh-huh. Um, weekends are the time that I will spend doing the garden and cleaning up. But summertime, I do very little. I don't want to be out in the middle of the day if it's 95 right. degrees. Right. So 
does it not get ahead of you in the summertime? Because, you know, the past couple, well, the past year, or and maybe year and a half, we've had so much rain. I mean, my garden, I, I, I just couldn't even keep it trimmed properly without being out there every other day. It grew so fast. Actually, mine look pretty good. Really? I have a lot I'm of to have, I'm going to have to come have a <laughs> cup of tea with you, Miss Rosie. <laughs> I mulch a lot. We have many nuggets everywhere. I hate pine straws mm-hmm. personally, but many nuggets are on all my beds. I have a lot of perennial beds and things. I put things in that really will just do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. I like to see things growing to full height. I hate mm-hmm. chopped things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, plants should be put in the ground. Um, and just left to grow. All right. So we're going to talk about some of the specific things you have in your garden. We're going to take a break and be back with Miss Rosie Davidson, Master Garden, and her home is on the Atlanta Botanical Tour this Mother's Day. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a sec. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's FoodLink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source the people who work every day to provide it. Feedstuffsfoodlink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back with the Master Gardener Hour, and we are um, kind of taking a visual tour through Rosie Davidson's garden. She is um, lives in a one of the most beautiful sections of Atlanta um, near Chastain Park, which is probably the prototype of an urban-suburban park. Um, the neighborhood um, has one of the most historic golf courses in the city, um, the first um, pro-am, junior pro-am was um, played on this golf course. The pool that the park host was home to the um, Havana-Atlanta Games built in 1948, I believe. So, And we have a, a wonderful hiking and walking trails around the park. So you are a stone's throw from there, and it's just a glorious area. The houses are lovely. They are fairly close together, but yet you still have a lot of privacy. I guess most houses have... A, a, a half to a, an acre of land in some of the older neighborhoods, wouldn't you say? Uh, that's right. And our house was, is now 40 years of age. Mm-hmm. So that's why we actually had a double lot. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Okay. So in your garden, um, since you do most of the work yourself, have you um, evolved to doing things that are more perennial or do you still go out and um, replant your annuals per season and, and, and go through all that? I really don't like annuals. I have some in pots, but even most of my pots in the patio are sedums because they stay there oh, most sedums. of the year yeah. round. They withstand the heat. You can ignore these things. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. Um, 
I have confessed I have one very, very small perennial bed at the front. It's in front of some gumpo azaleas that are pale pink and white, and I feel I need to put something in there, and it's usually blue and white or pink that go in that bed. But it's, it's two flats of plants, so mm-hmm. that's my only annuals. I love perennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the workhorses of the garden, they're good value for money. They don't live for 20 years necessarily, and you do have to replace some more than others, but replace it for something else. My, I like to experiment in the garden. I've made lots of mistakes coming from Scotland to, or in England to live over here. The soil is heavily amended. You have to do that in order to get things to grow here. In this I, lovely I, clay. I tell everybody, please amend the soil. Um, perennials are my big thing. I love perennials. And even in my beds that are perennial beds, I have shrubs and I have things there all the year round. It's not like an English garden where it's a nice flat lot and borders. Mm-hmm. Of, but there are borders mm-hmm. per se, but they're just terraced in my garden. Well, in Atlanta um, and in in so many parts of the country, because over the past decade we have suffered such severe drought conditions, we've we've tried to go to more of a um, zero escaping um, mentality. Not in the sense that you're living in a in a a desert garden, but in the sense that your high-maintenance areas should be minimal um, and 10% perhaps. And potting in in pots, in ceramic pots, or however you want to do it is is a wonderful way to do it. You know, um, while Atlantans love their yards... And they love their grass. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they lo- men men are obsessed by their front yards in this town. It's so funny. But you spend so much money on annuals, and they are gorgeous. But, you know, every season, if you have a big annual garden, it's a, it's a lot to – and this year with the with all the rain, the pansies aren't as – have not responded. We've had a couple of winters where the pansies have – been pretty puny because of the all the rain we've had so okay so let's let's kind of think back about when you um looked at this plot of your you know your 2b garden how did you start to visualize what you wanted to do i know that for you like for me a garden is a work in progress so tell me how you began that well, the first thing was the horrible wall with the ivy. When the wall, came, the ivy came down, I didn't actually plant anything because I had no stonework there in the garden, no borders, but I got rid of the ivy. So um, as I looked at it, we had a deck there. It was an area that was quite hilly going up to the pool. The pool was built in 66. It's now been revamped. So it's a much more modern pool. Still same size. And I basically looked at what I had the other side of the deck, which was some really old, nasty American boxwoods. The American boxwoods around the pool, they were horrible. I started digging these things out. I cut, pruned, got them down to basics, dug the whole lot out, thinking, what do I do next around the pool? Now, one plant that we don't grow much as much in the UK are camellias. Mm-hmm. I love camellias, so I put 48 around the pool. Oh, my goodness. Of um, the Cleopatra is a small pink flower. And the only thing I will say to gardeners is because it's a hedge and I have another hedge at the front garden and the side to separate my garden from the neighbors, um, you do get that nasty kind of camellia fungus on there and you have to pull it off. 
It's the only camellia I have in the garden, but I have. Is like, it the gall? Or, yes, the gall. Uh-huh. It's a gall. And there's nothing you can do to treat you gall. You can spray, which I get it sprayed in March, uh-huh. middle of March, but you still need to pick stuff off. Mm-hmm. That is tedious mm-hmm. and it's a pain, but the hedges look great. Um, then I needed a path going down to the bottom part of the garden where there was actually a potting, uh, it was actually a shed sitting outside our basement. We have a daylight basement. And I had a young lad then who actually moved the shed, I don't know how he did it, and put in a patio for me. Nothing fancy, just some bricks on on some sand. I'm being Scottish, I like value for money. I'm not going to spend a ton of money on doing things unless it's really necessary. Mm-hmm. So we put in a temporary path to the bottom of the garden. There were huge cherry laurel trees by the deck, two of them. We ended up taking them out. One had been split by lightning. Those things dropped purple berries everywhere. It was mm-hmm. a mess. Very invasive. So we actually ended up taking out a lot of trees that needed that were falling down or breaking. When we had a big ice storm, I lost some Japanese anise, big, big ones, and some pine trees and a beech tree I had. Everything came out, and everything that came out had to be fixed and replaced with something else. So basically we went from the patio up to the pool. Um, there was no garden there. Now I've got stonework with stone paths going to the bottom of the garden. It's a nice kind of a semi-shade, a little bit of sun garden. I've got some interesting maples in the garden. Um, The pool area is actually where the camellia hedge is in front of it. I put gum azaleas. I put a lot of azaleas in the garden, hundreds. So you have a lot of eastern sun or morning sun. Yes. Well, our house is facing directly south. Mm Mm-hmm. So face north in the back, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I put in a lot of azaleas because I was lazy. I did not want to have to garden, per se, where the azaleas are. There's a lot of azalea beds. They look beautiful in spring. They're green all the year round. They grow like crazy. Are they southern indicas? or? Um, um, I'm trying to think what I've got. Uh, on one side of the garden, everything is white. Mm-hmm. Lovely big leaves. The rest are mixed. Like Gigi Gerbing. Yeah, or the ones mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't like peach. I like pinks and whites, mm-hmm. and that's what I have in the garden. Mm-hmm. And I have encore azaleas and I have gumpos. So there are areas where I really don't want to have to do a lot of work apart from some pruning for them and some spraying every two or three years mm-hmm. need to get sprayed. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some beautiful old dogwood trees. They died a death on me. Mm-hmm. They've, they've come out. Um, one tree we had on the right-hand side of the garden was a beautiful old crab apple. That spread. It was like an arbor going through it. I got up one day and I thought, everything looks a little strange. This thing had uprooted itself. Oh, my goodness gracious. And it must have been 40-plus years of age. It, was it top-heavy? Did this happen? It in was the... just old. I mean, really, uh-huh. really old with oh. those beautiful blossoms. That did break my heart. There's an area near the pool where I had a beautiful old dogwood. Well, guess what? The dogwood was really old. It died. So I thought, I'll put a cherry tree in. So I put a cherry tree in that lasted four years. And I actually had Arbogard come out and say, what is wrong with this? This thing has just died. The soil was fine. There was, they couldn't find a thing wrong. So now I have a stewardia, which mm. is thriving in that spot. It's mm-hmm. growing like crazy, beautiful white flowers on it when it blooms. So I'm pretty happy. So, you know, mistakes occur. <laughs> yes, don't they? <laughs> um, mistakes do happen. Um, but the ivy was the biggest thing. And at the very, very back of the garden, um, there was a lot of ivy and snakes and people had just thrown old logs and wood. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't, I have to admit, I, you know, I don't even compost in my garden. 
which is really bad as a master gardener. I tell everyone else to do it, but I really don't want that near where there might be snakes or rats or mice or things mm-hmm. that are undesirables for me in the garden, mm-hmm. you know. But in, on the other hand, it's part of a complete environment to have those, yes, to have the snakes and the moles and I, the. I don't mind moles. It's snakes. It's long, I know they're there. I just don't want to see them. Right. You know. Right. And of course, everybody thinks every every snake they see is a, a, a I know copperhead. I, I know there's good snakes. I'm not mm-hmm. as bad as I used to be. My daughter actually got bitten by a copperhead when she was 11. Mm-hmm. High harvest. So that, that didn't help either. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we have good snakes in the garden. I just don't want them to look me in the eye. Yeah. They need to be somewhere where they're sunning themselves when I'm not there. And that's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so um, tell me. In, do, do do you have a favorite spot in your garden, or kind of a sanctuary spot? And does do those spots change as time goes by as you do new things and incorporate new things into your garden? Do you have a special place you like to be? Well, I think one part of my garden I really like, and this was actually not there in the last tour, the potting shed was. It was the third level. And I put in two parterre gardens where the vegetable gardens originally were. Because remember, I had young children then. I had play sets and forts. And I had to wait till they kind of grew up uh-huh. and didn't use them anymore before I could extend the garden. And there are two parterre gardens. And they have the um, Edgeworthias, one in each mm-hmm. in the middle. And it's moss lawn. At uh, the back, we've got hydrangeas and hostas and rhododendrons and then this potting shed with the lavender door. And I actually really like that part of the garden. It's completely closed in. It's almost like I tried to do garden rooms so you go from one mm-hmm. to the other. And I think I've been reasonably successful. I'm sure I could do it better. So your Edgeworthia is getting ready. Is it, is it, it in bloom? Is, it's almost in bloom. Mm-hmm. And the smell up there is just fantastic. Oh, I bet it is. And I also have tea olives near the potting shed. So the whole garden uh-huh. and even the ligustrum flowers smell. And I have Lakothaway. So everything is a nice smell up there. So do you um, intentionally um, work um, with f- fragrances in the garden? Or? I like smells and I like colors. Yes, wonderful. So Edgeworthia is um, is not a plant that a lot of people really know and have. It blooms directly off the stem. The mm-hmm. flower comes directly mm-hmm. off the stem, much like a, a redbud tree, That's before right. it leaves out. And it has a white. Is it it's normally? White, it's white with a yellow middle, mm-hmm. and the perfume is extremely strong, mm-hmm. and it's just delightful. Is it? Um, does it smell? More like a a jasmine or a gardenia. What is um? I I don't really know the smell of it. It's similar to that, but different. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, it's really hard to describe the smell. Um, but you can't miss it. You walk in between these two parterre beds on a gravel path. You really can't miss the smell. Mm. And they look they're a pretty shape. They are a pretty shape, they and are. they're very um sensual as they start to yeah. bloom because they're very um. Linear in a way. That's right. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we're going to take our last break and um, be back to talk a little bit more about how you, um, the evolution of your garden. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment with the Master Gardener Hour. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits. Help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today 
for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com. Brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. We're back with our last segment of the Master Gardener Hour, and as usual, time flies by because I have a lovely and interesting guest talking about this glorious acre of garden um, that she has. Rosie, if you if you had to um, quantify your your biggest three mistakes or regrets. I don't think you regret anything in your garden because you are fully aware that it is just an experiment and a work in progress and you've you've let it grow into its own. But what would you say your biggest three mistakes have been um, in a southern garden? Good snack, loose strife. I did not know what that was, and I planted it. Gooseneck. Loose strife. Okay. White flower. I planted this in a perennial bed. Uh, I did not realize how invasive this thing was. Uh-huh. I looked and thought, I'm one of these people. I like to buy something different or like to experiment. Biggest Spell loose strife. L-O-O-S-E-S-T-R-I-F-E. I don't know this plant. You don't want to know it. Trust me. Is, and it, it's a perennial. Is it's it, a perennial. And this ground? It's, it's, it gets to about maybe 12 to 14 inches high. Uh-huh. It looks really nice, but this thing is so invasive. You do not want that in the garden. What does it, it, it describe it? it? Describe it. To the, the look of it. What would it be akin to? I, I don't know this plant. Long center stem and then the kind of slightly pointy leaves. They're not shiny or anything. Come out the side of it and then this white flower. That kind of is kind of curved round. It's kind of long, almost like a tassel, but it stands up straight. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and the one I had was white flowers. And it is horrible. And the other thing I put in, and I actually put it in deliberately in one little bed, uh-huh. was a chameleon plant. Boy, oh, boy, that was a mistake. That thing repels rabbits. I have rabbits in the garden. It stinks. It has flowers. <laughs> it looks pretty because of the color of the leaves. She goes from burgundy to pale green to white. It took me a year to get rid of this stuff. And every so often, I f- in one of my beds near there, I see this little plant sticking out, and I have to pull it out. It does pull out quite easily. Um, so that's two of my biggest planting mistakes. Um, what else? I think it's really just things that I planted that I really didn't know how they were going to grow here mm-hmm. more than anything. It's not the garden design because I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. It would be lovely to have more money to do more in the garden, mm-hmm. but you know gardens are expensive and I said I am not going to sink every single dollar I have into the garden. Most of my plants have been good value. The most expensive thing I ever bought and it was I don't know, 15 years ago was a maple tree. 
A Japanese maple? A Japanese maple that cost me $150. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die. This thing was like 12 inches high, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I didn't tell my husband how much it cost. I think he might have killed me. <laughs> and I put this thing in the ground with a big rock in front. It is stunning. All these years later, it's a mm-hmm. dark red. Now, don't ask me the name. I can't remember. And I suppose, actually, that's one thing I should have done was probably label more things. Mm-hmm. Some of the things I know, but if somebody says to me, what is that? And I'm thinking. Now, are know. your are any of your things labeled? Because, you know, that's. You some know. are. Okay. Some of the things are labeled. And actually, for the tour, the, some of the more unusual things, like the Queen of the Nile perennial, mm-hmm. the parotia tree, they they will actually will be labeled. Oh, the parotia is a yeah. beautiful And tree. I have Angelica in my herb garden. I've had that plant for 15 years. It's had six different homes comes up beautifully by June it's dead because it's mm-hmm. too hot. Yeah. But it's survived. I've never seen it in anyone else's garden. You know, one of the things that I have noticed, um, I was at the Botanical Gardens um, just recently for the Christmas lights and um, again in um, uh, I guess October when they had the tremendous gigantic topiary mm-hmm. um, show, mm-hmm. which was Fabulous. But one of the things that I've found there um, is that um, they almost, the the garden is so mature in so many ways. And um, there's not enough labeling for me. And I love um, to see something in different stages of maturity. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, they they vary enough that it would help me immensely to have it labeled and i and i often wonder um wouldn't that be a fabulous thing to do because you as these people come through they're not just looking um at the beauty of your garden but they're learning People a take lot. notes. People, mm-hmm. I, I find that people take notes and say, what is that plant? And then usually I'm on the deck or somewhere around and they'll ask one of the people working there or they'll ask me what it is. And I, I, I saw a lot of the stuff, much of the stuff will be labeled. Yeah. Things how like, how intent are you on um, um, your percentage of native native plants that you put in your garden? Are you a fanatic about that? No, or I'm actually you... not because I didn't really deal with that when I first came here and mm-hmm. started the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have natives in the garden where possible now, but I have a lot of other things too. So does your garden must attract a lot of birds? I get a lot of birds. Now, it's interesting because my patio on one side is in the shade. I pots with hostas in. Mm-hmm. The other side is a tiered thing. I have sedums in there. See, there you are, sun and shade. Mm-hmm. And what do I get? I get hummingbirds. Just I get a couple that come every year. They go to the hostas first. They go to the sedums. They come back to the hostas. And that, to me, just fascinates me. Mm-hmm. I don't put bird food out in the summer. And you shouldn't really have to. I think there's enough stuff in my garden that the birds will come. And I see them. They go crazy. Mm -hmm. And the bees as well. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of things that they like to pollinate. So I'm happy with that. That's great. I have a clack of uh, red-winged blackbirds in my yard right now. And it is so fascinating. They wait until the sun just hits the feeder and one will come then he'll fly off and he'll tell all his friends okay it's mm-hmm. breakfast time and this morning there must have been 20 of them and it's so fascinating to see birds yeah. migrate through yeah. your yard and and really in the winter i think it's important to keep food and water especially yeah. i have to take fresh water out there every morning because it's been frozen That's every right. night which is so unusual for atlanta but um it's it's fascinating, and it's such a compliment 
to have these creatures in your garden. It's it is. just wonderful. So um, I'm curious to know, in between golf games, does your husband like to garden? Is this oh, a shared passion? No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> when he first moved into the house, being British, he said, I'll cut the lawn. Well, anybody who knows what a zoysia lawn is, you actually have to have a separate lawnmower. We mm-hmm. have two lawns at the front. They're on a slope. This poor man, every weekend, would go out there in the middle of summer. It's 95 degrees. It's humid. We're not used to this. And mow this. And I said after two years, you know what? In this country or in this city, people seem to pay somebody to come and do the lawn. <laughs> I know. So for the last, however many years have been there, last 18 years in that house, we paid somebody to come and do the lawn. Yes. Um, we did do a good thing at the back which was fescue. If anybody knows about fescue in the south, it is horrible in the summer because it's dry as a bone. There's nothing there. We replaced it with zoysia 18 months ago because now we get enough sun. Best thing I ever did. It's fantastic. So now I have, because it's on such a slope, I do need a lawn at the back. Mm -hmm. I need some green somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. And it actually looks great. But no, I don't do lawns. Well, I don't maintain they're, them. They're very, I just want them to look good. Yeah, and you know um, that is, um, and I, um, I'm sure there are other parts of the country like this. But your your garden and your first impression is a big deal in the South, mm-hmm. and everybody does want a beautifully manicured lawn, but. Truly, a lawn is the grass is the most alien thing you can put in your landscape. Oh, because, I agree. Yeah, yeah. and um, I, I'm, I often wonder if people really understand when they put all throw all these chemicals out on their lawns. It does have an effect on the roots of trees and mm-hmm. um, surrounding hedges and bushes. Mm-hmm. But and it's so time consuming. And I like you have gone to paying somebody to do it because I have enough front lawn that it would just take. Too too long to to cut it. It's a I'm not, very. I really. I look at the lawn as it's got to be there as part of the landscape. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to deal with it. If there's a problem with it, the lawn guys come out and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And yes, it has chemicals, and that's why this, it looks so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate lawns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I was growing up, we had a dark green lawn. My job as a little girl was to take some edging shears. And I I was short. I was a very young. And I edged the lawn for my father. This thing you by could hand. Have, By hand. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not the huge lawn I have now. But my father was very particular about how his lawn looked, and the edges had to be perfect. And that's what I—that's what I first remember doing when I was little, edging the lawn. I hate doing lawns. Now, when when your father um, was working and traveling, did he? When he came home, did did he spend a tremendous amount of time in the garden, or did your mother kind of pick up the slack? My, my mother did some of it, um, but my father came home and he was always out there. My mother liked the flowers and the shrubs and things. He did the vegetables. He liked the roses and everything. So they kind of, you know, because we're both working, um, they really divided the work between them. And they didn't have help in, no, in the garden. No, you don't do that in the UK. Yeah. You know, if you have a, a, an estate with thousand acres mm-hmm. or something yes but did you have like a um did it was it kind of like you know i always have these visuals of an agatha christie of a um a miss marple garden where you know it was cultivated and yet natural i mean was it and just full you know you'd walk down the little streets of her whatever her little mm-hmm. burg or hamlet was and everybody had a garden with a beautiful little you know gated fence and and um i, I mean it 
it, it just sounds wonderful to grow um, up in that environment. It is. The one thing you notice about gardens, I notice when I go back to Scotland every year, is how manicured they are. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not my type of garden. You know, you have a lawn, you have your borders, everything kind of matches, the colors match, the soil looks, I mean, it looks really pretty. I don't like it. I like a slight wildness to the mm-hmm. garden. Um, with interesting colors and textures. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like anything that's too manicured, but that's the personal. Thing. So you 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 are wonderful at garden design, but just really from experience. It's, you know what, I think you look at something, it's a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. You look at the shape of part of the garden, what can I do with this? And that's exactly what I did. When we could afford to do the stonework, we put all the walls in um, and even covered, even up by the pool, we have 50 foot kind of a, a nice stone wall with all these grasses above it. Mm-hmm. Don't have to do anything. Don't water them, just leave them alone. Yeah. And they grow. That's great. And so, and, and you, you cultivated your experience by really just doing what made you happy. Exactly. And also, you know, I, I'm one of these people, there's a new plant, I have to have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want it in my garden. So, which isn't necessarily the best thing, but for me it was. But you still, do you still experiment or do you have a status quo now that you try to maintain? No, no, I experiment. I've got one bed now. I'm digging the whole thing out because it's been like that for years and I hate it. I keep looking at it and thinking, what can I do to make it look better? Um, so that's a work in progress. Everything's a work in progress and stuff gets changed. I have a bed of roses now, David Austin roses mm-hmm. and some old roses. And I know I'm making a mistake with these, but I wanted to put, they're all pink and white. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to put these roses back in, and I'm just going to do it for a few years until it looks horrible again. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I have loved, I've loved having you here. I mean, it's it's great. And so, listeners, um, remember that, and I'm sure you can go online and and look under, um, go to the Atlanta Botanical Garden website. But um, please look into the the Mother's Day um, garden tour because it's. Fascinating. Will you invite me over to have a cup of tea? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I would love that. I'm absolutely. trying to do more of that and slow down. So <laughs> tea is good in the afternoon. Rosie, thank you so much. Thank Listeners, you. have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll be with you again next week.